Good morning, church. Well, I hope you are ready for the Word because I'm bursting with the Word. So ready or not, here I come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your Word. And I pray that your Word today will divide us in the soul and the spirit. You will do spiritual surgery on us. You will make us more like Jesus and you will take us deeper than we have ever gone with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Quick survey of this room. How many of you know that God is your Father in heaven and you are a child of God? Raise your hand. Wonderful. Next question. How many of you here right now, today, not last year, but today, you can say with full confidence that you are full of the Holy Spirit? Wonderful. <laughs> well, it's a good thing my message today is not about being a child of God because almost all of you know that. My message today is about being full of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that when Jesus was 12 years old, his parents lost him and they went about looking for him and finally they found him in the temple and his mother said to him, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. Your father, Joseph and I have been anxiously looking for you. And Jesus said to her, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house, God's house? So from at least the age of 12 years old, Jesus knew that God was his father. He knew that he was the son of God. But despite that, Jesus did not begin his ministry. Jesus only began his ministry at the age of 30 years old when he was baptized in the river Jordan and the Holy Spirit came upon him as a dove. And the Bible says that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus only began his ministry when he was full of the Holy Spirit and then and only then did God lead him into the wilderness to confront the devil and begin his ministry. And we are called to follow in his footsteps. Jesus set the precedent and the church followed it. Jesus said to the church just before he ascended, he says, wait, wait for the gift my father has promised. He had already been with them for three years. He had given them all the teachings he would on earth. He had given them the great commission. And even then, even though he had called them brothers and sisters, he said, wait, wait, wait. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And Acts 2 says, they were all, every single one of them, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The church only began its ministry when it was full of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible goes on to describe men and women in the Bible. And it says of Stephen that he was full of the Holy Spirit. He looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And it was said of Barnabas that he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So this is the precedence, this is the pattern, that Jesus only began his ministry full of the Holy Spirit. The church only began their ministry full of the Holy Spirit, and the Bible gave us examples of individuals who only did God's work full of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that from the time he ascended, from the time that Jesus resurrected to the time he ascended to heaven, he was on earth for 40 days. And in that 40 days, the Bible says that he appeared to at least 500 people. So at least 500 people heard the call, wait. But on the day of Pentecost, there was only 120 people in the upper room. So at least 
380 people ran off to do the Great Commission without the fullness of the Holy Spirit. What happened to those 380? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. God did not deem it worthy to put the lives and the ministries of those 380 in the Bible to encourage us. The only lives of people, men and women of God that the Bible puts in the New Testament for us to follow as an example, to encourage us are men and women who were full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to a man in two measures, if I can put it that way. The first is the Holy Spirit is given to us as a deposit, and the second is the Holy Spirit is given to us in the fullness or to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Today's message is talking about the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but I want to quickly, for one minute, talk about the deposit of the Holy Spirit so that we understand the difference. Both are important. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 22. God set His seal of ownership on us and put His Holy Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. 2 Corinthians 5.5 5. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Ephesians 1 When you believe, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. So it's very clear from Scripture that the deposit of the Holy Spirit is given to us, guaranteeing that we belong to Jesus. If I see a house on the market and I like the house and I put a deposit on the house, legally that house belongs to me. No one else, none of you can buy that house. That house legally belongs to me. In the same way, when Jesus put the deposit of the Holy Spirit in us, spiritually, legally, we belong to Him. Satan, death, hell, no one can claim us. Only Jesus can claim us forever. The deposit is to guarantee that we belong to Jesus forever. The deposit of the Holy Spirit is given by default. From the moment that a man believes in Jesus, he receives the deposit of the Holy Spirit. Even if he didn't feel any different, even if he didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit, nonetheless, he has received a deposit of the Holy Spirit. But despite the fact that every believer, every one of us who believes in Jesus here, have received a default deposit of the Holy Spirit, even then, in Luke 11, Jesus says these words, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What is Jesus asking us to ask, seek, and knock for? Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So despite the fact that we all have a default deposit of the Holy Spirit, Jesus has asked us to ask God for a measure of the Holy Spirit. There is a measure of the Holy Spirit that will only be given to us if we ask God for it. That is the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I want to show you the lives of the disciples of Jesus, the ones who walked with Him on earth, and the two times that they received the Holy Spirit. 
After Jesus resurrected, as he was walking on earth for those 40 days, there was a moment in John chapter 20, verse 22, where it says that he, Jesus, breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This is the moment that the disciples received the deposit of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have to ask for it. They didn't have to do anything for it. They didn't have to wait for it. It was given to them by Jesus. But despite the fact that Jesus had breathed on them and they had received the Holy Spirit, a few days later, just before he ascended, Jesus said to them again, now wait for the promise that my father has, wait for the gift that my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with waters, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So now, if you and I were the disciples, we'll be confused. We'll be like, Jesus, didn't you breathe on us the Holy Spirit? Don't we already have the Holy Spirit? Why are you asking us now to wait to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? So do we have or do we not have the Holy Spirit? They had the deposit of the Holy Spirit. They had not yet received the fullness. So knowing what was in their minds, Jesus went on to explain it. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And in Acts 2, the description of what happened is that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So the deposit of the Holy Spirit is given to us by default for the sake of salvation. But the fullness of the Holy Spirit is given to us for the sake of power to do Jesus' ministry on earth. So Jesus is the one who told us to ask for the Holy Spirit. Jesus is also the one who sent us the Holy Spirit. He said, it is to your advantage if I go. If I go, I will send you the advocate, the Holy Spirit. This is not the measure of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gave when he was still on earth because he says it's your advantage if I go, if I go. This is after his ascension. He's talking about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the one who told us to ask for the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who sent us the Holy Spirit. And one more, Jesus is the one who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. Man cannot give another man God, the Holy Spirit. Only Jesus, who is God, can give man the Holy Spirit, who is God. John the Baptist said of him, he, Jesus, will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. The baptism, remember when Jesus says you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit in a few days? That baptism only happened on the day of Pentecost when they were filled. So in other words, it is Jesus who fills us with the Holy Spirit. If we understand this, brothers and sisters, and I want to put this very gently, if we understand that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a ministry of Jesus, then we must also understand that when a man rejects the fullness of the Spirit, rejects the baptism of the Spirit, he's rejecting the very ministry of Jesus unto him. It's like Jesus wants to reach out his hand to bless that man, and that man is saying, no, Jesus, don't you dare touch me. I don't like this whole Holy Spirit business, this speaking in tongues. I don't need it. Don't you lay your hands on me. That's essentially what happens when a believer says to Jesus, I don't want the Holy Spirit. It is not that we want you to have the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus who wants you and me and every one of us to have the Holy Spirit. What I want to do for the rest of this morning is show you what happens what happens to a man, a believer, when we allow Jesus to fill us with the Holy Spirit? The first thing that happens when we allow Jesus to fill us with the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit will draw us near to Jesus. In this room, there are wonderful Christians, great men of God. 
And sometimes I look at this wonderful man of God, and I think when they go to heaven, God is going to pat them on the shoulder, and God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And then there is me, and I'm such a hopeless case. I think when I get to heaven, God's going to look at me, and then He's going to pat Himself on the shoulder and say, well done, good and faithful God. Even this one you got across the line. Good job, God. <laughs> I semi-seriously joke with God sometimes, and I say to Him, Lord, before I met the Holy Spirit, I was a moonwalking Christian. I'll say, God, I love you. Oh, Jesus, I adore you. Why am I going backwards? God, help me. From the moment that I received the deposit of the Holy Spirit, from that moment, I loved God. Nobody told me to love God, but I loved God. From the moment that you and I received the deposit of the Holy Spirit, we valued prayer. We valued spending time with God. We valued the Word of God. But despite the fact that I valued all these things and I wanted to do all these things, some days I might do it for a few minutes, but again and again for years, literally years, I kept falling back into the ways of the world. I love to spend time with God. I love the idea of reading and praying, but again and again, I find myself spending more time, much more time in the world than with God. And when I came to the end of myself and I said, God, I can't do it. You got to help me, help me, please. And He gave me the Holy Spirit, something changed in me. And from that day on, I began to delight greatly in God. I began to long for God and want to spend all my time with God. Sometimes I would torture myself and spend time with friends and family to watch a movie or something in the world, but I don't enjoy it that much. And I can't wait for the night to be over and then I can run back to my room and say, oh God, here I am again. This is where I belong. Ezekiel 36 verse 26, God said, I will put a new heart and give you a new spirit in you. That is what God has done for me. He has if I put it this way, he has made me a new creation. There's no other way to say it. The old term school, you know, uh, born again Christian, I feel like that. There's no other way to describe it. I don't recognize myself. Where before I could not stay away from the things of this world, now I can't stay away from God. Every believer has the deposit, and so every believer desires to spend time with God. Why would a man spend hours with God every single day? Why would you spend hours with God every day? If one of these young men here, every morning, he rushed out of the house to spend time with his girlfriend, would we look at him and say, so disciplined, so disciplined in spending time with his girlfriend? <laughs> no, right? We would say, look how in love he is with his girlfriend. Spending time with someone, even God, is a matter of loving God. But only God can do that dramatic change in us to help us to love Him so much more than the things of this world. Man can't do it. It has to be God. So that at the end of the day, when we finish our race, we won't say, God, you know, so disciplined. See where I got? No, we'll say, God, it was all you. It was you who gave me that new heart. And only by you holding on to me did I make it to the end. There's nothing wrong with discipline. We can discipline many things and we should be disciplined. We should discipline the time we wake up, the time we sleep, the kind of food we eat, the things we do. You can discipline your behavior, but you can never discipline yourself to love someone. That has to be a work of God in us. It's very important to tease this out because 
many times, young Christians want to spend time with God. But the message we tell them is, try harder, try harder, discipline yourself more, set alarms, download apps, download plans, try, try, and try. And so the poor fella tries harder and he fails. He tries and he fails, he can never live up to it. So he tries and then he feels guilty and he tries and then he feels ashamed. He's now embarrassed to talk about it again because he's talked about it so many times. So now he keeps quiet and one day he just gives up and he says, oh no, no, I, I can't spend time with God like that. Only special people can spend time with God like that. But that's not true. It's the desire of Jesus that we would abide in Him. And He gave us this Holy Spirit to give us a new heart so that we would abide in Him. The first thing that the Holy Spirit does for men is that He, the Holy Spirit, will draw us near to Jesus. The second thing that the Holy Spirit will do in a man is that the Holy Spirit will show us Jesus in ourselves. He will show me Jesus in me. I want to show you something about the law that you may never have noticed. In Matthew 11 verse 13, it says, for all the prophets and the law prophesied. First time God showed me this, I almost could not believe it and I stared at the page for a long time. And God said to me, yes, yes, the law is a prophecy. And like all prophecies, the law is meant to be fulfilled. See, I grew up in a church where for a long time, I was taught that the law is unattainable. It's meant to be a standard so high that we can't attain it so that we would have a sense of what sinners we are. But that's not true. The law is a prophecy not to give us a sense of what we cannot achieve, but the law is a prophecy to give us a sense of what the Holy Spirit can achieve through us. In Ezekiel chapter 11, God says, then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. God has not given us a standard and laugh at us and say, terrible you, you will never meet this standard. That's why you need me. No, God has given us a standard and says, you cannot, you may not achieve this by your sinful nature, but I will give you a new spirit. I will give you a new heart and then you will be able to fulfill the law. It's a prophecy that is meant to be fulfilled in every believer through the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit fulfill the law in us? He does it by revealing Jesus in us. Do you know that angels are spiritual beings? Yes, they are spiritual beings living in spiritual realm, heaven. But do you know that though they are spirits, the spirit in them is not the spirit of God? They are just spirits. They are not made in the likeness of God and they will not be transformed into the image of God. Satan would like that very much, but he will never be that. Angels are spiritual beings who live in heaven. But you and me, as mere men, mere nothing, dust, flesh and blood, men, we have this enormous, mind-blowing privilege that when God looked at us and He says, I'm going to make them my people and I'm going to bring them into heaven, He didn't just put any old spirit in us and make us a kind of spirit. No, He put His very own spirit into us. My sons look like me because they got my DNA. If we are going to be spirits, in the spirit, the DNA we have is the DNA of 
God Himself. He put His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in us. And the Holy Spirit is also described in the Bible as the Spirit of Jesus. The apostles wanted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus stopped them. It, Holy Spirit is described as the Spirit of Jesus. So if the, we are born, our DNA is the Spirit of Jesus, then as we grow in the Spirit and mature in the Spirit, what will we look like? Jesus. Consider the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All these qualities are character traits, different character traits. But yet the Bible doesn't say that we will bear nine fruits of the Spirit. No, it says one singular thing. You will bear the fruit, fruit singular of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not here to improve versions of you and me. It's not version 1.1, version 1.2, version 1.3, no. The Holy Spirit is here to get rid of us so that we will lose the consciousness of ourselves and have the consciousness of Christ in us. The only fruit that the Holy Spirit will bear out of us is a person called Jesus. And as we grow spiritually, more and more we become into the consciousness of Christ in me. What I want to do, I want to lead you there this morning. I don't want this to just be another theory in your head about what should be. I want to lead you there so that in your spirit, you can touch it, you can catch the sense of what it really means to have Christ in me. Have you ever had this experience? You are worshiping God. The music is on and you're swaying, you got your hands up in your room, you are dancing, you are crying, you are just worshiping God so deeply and you worship and you worship and you push deeper and deeper into worship until you come to a place of worship where even music is distracting. The music that led you into worship is now distracting. You're so deep into worship and you turn off the music and you sit there and in the quietness, you are still worshiping God. Except now your worship of God is not with dance and song, but your worship of God is sitting there and simply knowing that He is God. Have you ever touched that place of worship? Give me a nod. Yes, some of you have. Good. In the same way, when we are filled with the Spirit of God, there is this abiding presence of God that is there all the time with us. He is there all the time. We are never alone for even a single moment. We know that God is always with us. And as we push into that abiding presence, sometimes that abiding presence can become so tangible. If I can put it this way, sometimes it's almost like you would not be surprised if you turn your head and you saw Jesus there. He's so real, so tangible, that presence. And then if you push in even further, push in, push in, push in, abiding in Him, you can come to a place so deep that all you are conscious of is God. You forgot about yourself. There is no, not even a slightest thought about yourself and what you need and what you want and none of that. You just forgot, you died to yourself. And in that place, all you are conscious of is God and His will. And in that place, when we finally die to the consciousness of ourselves, if I can put it that way, for the first time, we understand in here, not up here, but in here, what it really means to be in Christ. God has put all things under the feet of Christ. All things are under the feet of Christ. He is the head that has been raised up above all things. If something is under the feet and under the head, then something must also be under the body. It's impossible to be under the feet and under the head, but above the body, cannot be. 
So he's the head, all things have been placed under his feet and we are the body of Christ. In that place, what you catch the sense of is that we are the body of Christ. I'm not standing, coming against evil spirits and sicknesses with the consciousness that I'm a fallen man in a fallen world, oh, poor me. No, when we do the work of God, what we are conscious of is that I am part of the body of Christ. I may be just a little bit of his little finger, but nonetheless, I'm still part of the body of Christ. My awareness is Christ in me. To lose all consciousness of self and have the consciousness of Christ in us, that's what it means in the Bible when it says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Have you ever heard of preachers saying this? And I think I said this when I was a young preacher, younger preacher. People used to say this, and I believed it. He says, you know, we shouldn't be so arrogant to say that we don't sin. We are sinners, and we live in a fallen world, so every day, we are bound to sin. And that's not true. The Bible has never said that. The Bible does not say that believers have to sin every single day. When we put on the consciousness of Christ in us, instead of us, what do we become aware of? When Jesus was walking on earth, three times the devil came to tempt him in the desert. Each time, the devil only managed to say one sentence and Jesus shut him down with scripture. Say another sentence, shut down. Say another sentence, shut down. After shutting him down three times, the devil ran off and the Bible says he was waiting for an opportune time. He was waiting for an opportunity. Do you know how long the devil had to wait for an opportunity before he could come to Christ again? He had to wait three years. Not one day, three years. He had to wait three years to come into Christ again. And after three years of waiting day and night, day and night, he finally saw one opportunity through the disciple Peter and boom, he came in and tried to speak to Christ. And again, one sentence and then Jesus said to him, get, away, get behind me, Satan, you are offense to me. Shut down again and that's it. So when we walk with the consciousness of Christ in us, we're not afraid of the devil. We have this consciousness that we can just shut the devil down in Jesus' name. If I'm still alive and kicking, the devil's gonna have a good time with me because he has had a good time with me my whole life. But if I'm dead, the devil can't do anything to a dead man. You can't make a dead man anxious. You can't make a dead man angry. Dead man is dead, just dead. What he encounters instead is Christ in me. And then he has a problem. He will never overcome Christ in me. That's how we overcome sin. That's how the law is fulfilled in us. It is Christ in us. No one can give you that sense of Christ in you. You can do all the studying and all the PhDs you want, nothing wrong with that, for those are stepping stones to get there, but no one can actually give you that consciousness of Christ in you. Only the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us, can give us a sense of who we really are in Christ. So the first thing the Holy Spirit does is that He draws us near to Jesus. The second thing He does is that He shows me Christ in me. The third thing that the Holy Spirit does to us is that he will show the world Jesus through me. Acts chapter two is the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter three, where the miracles start to get described. The first miracle to be described, Peter was walking with John towards the temple. They encountered a lame beggar and Peter said to him, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter was just filled with the Holy Spirit, 
But he didn't say, in the name of the Holy Spirit, get up and walk. No, he said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. When we are filled with the Spirit, we become very acutely aware, very acutely aware that the Holy Spirit is not there to build the church of the Holy Spirit. No, He is there to build the church of Jesus Christ. Think about it. Jesus Himself only ministered when He was full of the Holy Spirit. So if Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit and Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. When you and I as His disciples are filled with the same Spirit, led by the same Spirit and operate by the empowering of the same Spirit, what will our ministry look like? Of course, it's going to look like Jesus. How else can our ministry look like Jesus' ministry? Can you heal the sick? No. Can you cast out demons by your name? No. It has to be God Himself doing Jesus' work for the world to see that Jesus is real. Every day we are taught to pray in the Bible, not my will be done, but yours, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, what is God's will? What is God's will? God's will is that Jesus will be revealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. If a man is stuck in addiction, he's caught in sin and he can't break free, he's stuck in drugs and pornography and sin, what is God's will for that man? God's will for that man is that sin will be broken in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. If a man is sick and tormented, the Bible says when a man is sick, he is tormented. When a man is tormented by sickness, what is the will of God for that man? The will of God is that he would encounter the healing Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. When a man is out of work and he can't provide for his family, what is God's will for that man? God's will is that that man would encounter the same Jesus that fed 5,000 by the power of the Holy Spirit. God's will is that Jesus will be revealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. It has to be Jesus that is lifted up and it has to be done by the power of God so that no man may boast, see, I did it, I did it, I raised Jesus. No, who are we? How can we raise Jesus? Cannot be. Only God can raise Jesus so that by the end of all things, we would say with no uncertainty that it was not done by might nor strength, but by the Spirit of God. Maybe someone would say, oh Dan, but you don't understand. I am so handsome and I have so much charisma. I have so much followers on Instagram and Facebook. And so since God has given me my good looks and my charisma, I'm going to use these things to lead people to Christ. No, brother, you can't. Yes, your good looks and your charisma was given by God, but it was given through Adam. Every son of Adam, even those who do not believe in God, have good looks and charisma. So let the pop stars and the film stars and all the stars there display the wonderful gifts of Adam. But you and I, we are Christians. We believe in the name of Jesus. We were saved by the name of Jesus. We were baptized in the name of Jesus and we are still owned by the name of Jesus. So since we belong to Jesus, let us show the world what we receive from God through Jesus, which is the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
I wish that God would give us all an acute sense of how powerless and how helpless we really are in the flesh so that we would be totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit. I want to end by talking to you this morning about surrender. What is surrender? Many times as Christians, we say, I surrender to God. When we as Christians say, I surrender to God, many times we think that I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to give things up to God. I surrender to God by dying to myself. That's only half the truth. Even this world knows that they have to die to the world. When this world is tired and they're looking to renew their strength, when they're looking to get peace, they will build monasteries in high mountains, they will build resorts in secluded, beautiful places to get away from the world. When they are looking for religious enlightenment and peace, they will hide in caves, they will build little huts in the middle of nowhere to get away from the world. Even the world intuitively knows that it has to die to the world to progress in any sort of spirituality. But we as Christians, our role model is Jesus. And the message of the Christian life is not just death, but death and resurrection. God is not interested in a world full of dead Christians who are hiding in caves, no. God is interested in a world full of Christians who are alive in Jesus and kicking the devil out of this world. That is only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are entirely, entirely dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Worship team, you can come back up now. In a few moments, we're going to give you the invitation to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There is one baptism and many fillings. You see, at the moment when they were baptized, they were also filled with the Holy Spirit. But as we go through the book of Acts, we see that they had to be filled again and again. Somehow, man is like leaky vessels. The Holy Spirit level seems to drop. So there's only one baptism, but many infillings of the Holy Spirit. But our natural state that Jesus would ordain it to be is to be filled with the Holy Spirit at all moments of all times. How to receive the Holy Spirit? How? How does a man receive the Holy Spirit? It's a gift. You don't earn it. If you earn it, it's called a wage. It's a gift, it's a free gift. The same way that we received Jesus by faith, even though we didn't understand everything, but there was a stirring in our heart and we received Jesus by faith, it's the same way that we received the Holy Spirit by faith. One time, one time, Kenneth Hagen was talking about the Holy Spirit and uh, after that, there were two young men at the front who wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he looked around them and there were four elders of the church. And one elder was telling him, come on brother, pray harder, pray harder. And the elder behind him was telling them, brother, shout louder, God will hear you if you shout louder, shout louder, come on. Another brother next to them was saying to them, come on brother, give up, give up, give up more. Another brother at the front of them was saying something else, I can't remember what, but literally he was spitting on them. And this went on for 45 minutes, 45 minutes, until the poor two young men were covered in spit and sweat and everyone was tired and they all gave up. And as the two young men were walking out towards the door, Kenneth Hagen said to them, hey, stop, stop. He says, do you really want to receive the Holy Spirit? And the two young men looked at him, of course, look, at, have you seen what happened? And so he says, sit down, sit down, I'm going to show you. 
And he showed them, all the Bible ever said was receive the Holy Spirit, receive it like a gift. In Acts chapter eight, when Peter spoke to them about the Holy Spirit, they believed in it, he laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. It's just like that. It's just like that. Just like that. When you come up, don't doubt. Don't come up thinking, oh, I don't know if anything's gonna happen, you know, usually nothing happens. I'll just try, test, test, test and see. No, no, no. You can try different restaurants, you can try different medicines, you can try different people, but please don't try God. Without faith, it is impossible, impossible. Some things are impossible. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. A man must believe that God is a rewarder of those who seek Him earnestly. I want you to receive the Holy Spirit. So when you come up later, when you get off the seat and you come down, come with the expectation that God will do something in you. All of me for all of Him. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is not an encounter with God. It is not just a nice feeling in our hearts. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is a man saying unto God, I surrender to you. I want to let myself go today, but I want to let you, God, fill me with all of yourself. I want to put my hand to the plow, God, and live for the name of Jesus, and I never want to look back at the world again but I can't do it, only you can do it. Lord, I don't want me and the world to keep seeing me. I'm sick of me, I don't want me. I want to be so filled with you, like a fire just burning me, burning me, that all people see is the fire, that all people would see when they encounter me is Jesus, not me. That's what it means to surrender. To surrender is to ask God to take all of you and then ask God to give you the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That's what we are asking when we ask to be filled. Would you say that prayer this morning to God? Come, stand with me. We're not gonna start ministering yet. We're just gonna worship God. And then we'll start ministering when He says to do so. But now, even as we start worshiping God, if you are hungry, and you say, there is a measure of God I don't have today. It's not about last year or many years ago. Right now, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? And if we don't have it, then let's come to the front and say, Oh Lord, fill me, fill me to the fullness with your Holy Spirit. And if more of you means less of me, take it. all of you is all I need to take everything yes all of
status as nothing. King of all kings came to serve, washing my feet, covering me with your love. More of you, step more of you means less of me. Take it.
let's make this week's benediction a prayer of surrender that we all pray together and then parents and those who have to pick up your kids and do duties you are free to leave but if you're not in a rush then this morning why don't we just linger linger here and worship God we've been asking for revivals all these weeks let's spend a few moments of our time let's stay here and declare to God and let Him know how much we long for Him with our hearts and our bodies sitting here let's tell God how much we desire of Him so if you have to go you can go after this but if you're not in a rush linger let's linger in His presence but now join me and pray this I'll pray it and if you want to, you say it in your heart as well. Father, all of me for all of you. All of me, Lord, for all of your son, Jesus. You once took away my sins and you took away the consciousness of my sins. That was for salvation. And now, Lord, I come to you asking you to take away all of me, the good, the bad, all of me. Take away all of me, Lord, and give me all of Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit because I'm convinced in my heart that there is no other way, no other way I can live a godly life for you. There is no other way I can put my hand to the plow and never look back at the world. There is no other way that the world will see Jesus or even I will see Jesus in me unless the Holy Spirit takes over. For this reason, Lord, I surrender to you. I give you all of me and ask for all of Jesus that when I walk out of here, Lord, you will help me to be able to say with great consciousness, that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Father, I pray as your minister this morning, in the Old Testament, the prophets prayed for fire, but that fire was to consume and destroy. But Lord, here in the New Testament, we ask for fire, God. Again and again, we ask for fire. We ask for fire to consume your people so that we may belong to you and Jesus may live through us. Not to destroy God, but to restore and to live unto Jesus. Fill us this morning with thy Holy Spirit and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.